1778, a small group of Massachusetts farmers decided they wanted to incorporate their tiny community into a town. They had several meetings about it and decided to call their new town Exeter after the town in southwest England. But just as they were petitioning the Massachusetts legislature to make it official, someone crossed out the name and wrote something else. History doesn't know exactly who made this last second change, but the petition that arrived at the Massachusetts State House stated that the community wished to be called Franklin, not Exeter. Because at the time, Benjamin Franklin had just successfully persuaded the French to ally with America for the War of Independence. Meaning a brief moment of celebrity worship and a quick name cross out put the community on the map as big band of fanboys. But they were fine with it. In fact, seven years later, one of the townsfolk wrote to their celebrity idol. They asked Benjamin Franklin to do the honor of sending them a bell for the top of the church, which would also double as a town meeting house. This way, every time the farms were called to church by the loudest sound in the county, they'd think of Benjamin Franklin. But here's the kicker. Instead of a bell, old Ben sent them a library. In a correspondence with his nephew, it was revealed that Ben Franklin did his homework on the little town that named itself after him. Franklin was still in France, so he had his network of relatives and friends slip him notes. His nephew wrote to Ben, telling him that the people are poor and generally uneducated. He said, quote, they need a bell like a frog needs a tail. The general thinking was that these people had plenty of church to go around. Now all they needed was a little education to balance them out. In fact, the statue of Franklin now stands in the spot explains his reasoning in a single sentence. Sense being preferable to sound. The books were moved into the meeting house, which included law books and the works of John Locke. And the congregants added to the collection too, turning the church into a church library hybrid of a sort. That was until the farmers began fighting over who was allowed to borrow the books. Maybe only paid congregants were allowed to borrow them. Maybe only those who came to Sunday worship should be allowed to read Ben Franklin's collection. Or maybe paying congregants could read the extras donated by the community and the pastor but anyone could read the Franklin books. In 1790, it was agreed the latter would prevail, and this is how America's first public library was accidentally started. Our episode today isn't about libraries, though. It's about world-famous connectors. And we want to brainstorm for a moment on how many connections Ben Franklin just tapped into during that tiny little narrative. History books like to yada yada over all the exchanges that got us from church bell to books. But the network we just saw in action could have been sprawling, especially in an age without internet or telegraph. Firstly, Benjamin Franklin was living in Paris, which means leaving forward instructions from his home or his printing company in Philadelphia. His printing company, by the way, where a sizable number of employees and bosses worked, so there's network number one. He also operated while he maintained diplomatic connections for the U.S. So that's network two. 
Franklin was also one of 17 siblings, all with their own children. Remember, his nephew checked into the town of Exeter for us. So that's Network 3, his army of nieces and nephews. The Phantom Letter would have passed through his printing people, possibly his diplomatic connections on the America's side. Though U.S. postage on the transatlantic sailing ships and into the hands of his French connections, or quite possibly his American allies in Paris. And that's all just asking Benjamin, can we please have a bell for our church? When Benjamin got to work, and by work, we mean his connections going the other direction, contacting his nephew to take over the process of giving them a library instead of a bell, corresponding with family, using his connections to get laborers to help haul the books, etc., etc. Think about how long it takes for a small town community nowadays to start a library. Votes, agreements, deals, labor, construction, volunteers, all for something we have the blueprint for. Benjamin Franklin committed a chunk of his network of contacts to starting the first public library. Between the printing press, his publishing, his fans, his diplomacy work, and his scientific contacts, Benjamin Franklin was the most successful connector in America. If Ben Franklin wanted to talk to you, you would be found. If you sent him a letter from a tiny town asking for a bell, just like Santa Claus, Benjamin Franklin would hear it. Forget Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. Benjamin Franklin was the original spider. And it's strange to realize we all live on the web that he has spun. That's our subject for today. How to build our own web-like networks. Becoming legendary connectors in our own right. And we have three myths to get those threads spinning. Myth one. Introverts can't network. At least that's what we've been taught. So we'll take tips from Benjamin Franklin and today's guest and build our own connectors code book. Myth two, is there such thing as quality over quantity when it comes to who we forge connections with? If so, how do we choose how to add to our Dunbar number? Myth three, nice guys finish last. To be a powerful influencer, expect confrontation. Unless you're Benjamin Franklin, then you have your own cheat code to influence. We're going to get to our miss, but first I want to tell Joe how a rapper with a strange connection got an NBA player his job back. Todd, you got to start with the uh, what you were telling me about when we start talking about potential ideas for like a connector episode. Can well, we start we reach, with the rapper? We reach out to our expert, Chris Wilkes, and then I, it's funny, I was watching the NBA Finals, and this is the most bizarre connector story I've ever heard. Um, you know, it connects to somebody who helps, you know, who you met your wife through or where you got your job from, someone who who's working there, who knows everybody. Um, there's a basketball player. His name is Caleb Martin, and he played for, he played for the Charlotte NBA team, and he got cut. Well, a local rapper there named Jay Cole, he's a multi-platinum you know, he got the big mansion. He's he's from the Charlotte um, area. And this Caleb Martin would hang out with him. He's a huge basketball fan. 
and J. Cole, the rapper, started noticing that Caleb wasn't was hanging out there almost every day. So one day he said, hey, you don't play basketball anymore? You know, kind of like uh, you get a hint. You know, I don't want you hanging out in my house. Um, Caleb said, no, I got cut. They don't want me anymore. And so J. Cole says, uh, let me see what I could do. Now, this guy's guys, remember, he's a rapper. He's in the music industry. He is not a professional athlete. He never has been. He somehow knew someone at the Miami Heat organization, got Caleb Martin a tryout. Caleb Martin makes the team. This year he's playing the NBA Finals. So he went from being cut, and he's coming up on a new contract because he played so well in the playoffs and was such an asset to the Miami Heat that he's going to be making about $10 million more a year. So how's that for a connector? That's <laughs> great. I would have thought the only thing connecting a uh, a pro player and a pro rapper is uh, taking guns into nightclubs without having registered them first. But um, <laughs> I, I, I think not. <laughs> that that scares me when somebody's like, let me do something about this. And it's it's connections that you wouldn't expect. Um, so, Todd, would you consider yourself a good connector? I, we know the answer to me. I'm an I'm an introvert. So let's start with you. Um, let me start that with with you first. Let me throw it back at you. I think I'm pretty good, and I'll tell you why. Um, a lot of people have enjoyed working with me. I do a decent job in staying in touch with them. I have introduced three people who have ended up getting married, but that's a double edged sword. So that was years ago, and I don't know if those guys want to want to kill me now. <laughs> if they're all in divorce court, I've lost touch with them. But what, do you consider yourself as a um, introverted individual? You can't be one, right? No, I, I, I think that I became a a very weak connector by default, just because I try to do so many things, and I by being beg active, people who right? are by being yeah, parts by being of clubs, active, exactly. But I also. I, I have all of my friends signed an NDA and uh, they aren't allowed to call me and no one is allowed to text me. So there's, there's limits to that. Um, <laughs> but we, Todd and I both know somebody who's a really, really good connector. And this sparked my interest because I think if I get more than 10 texts a day and I have to call more than one person a day, I feel exhausted. Like I, I, I don't know how anybody does that to a degree where, I mean, let's let's talk the actual limitation, which is we, we've talked about Dunbar's number, which is 150 people like that's supposedly how many um, personalities you can keep in your head and remember their names and facts. So um, can we can we introduce our guest who is going to tell us how to break Dunbar's number, please, Mr. Chris Wilkes. Well, gentlemen, thanks for uh, hosting me. I'm uh, excited to be on your podcast show that I listen to every Wednesday morning, except when you skip a week. <laughs> we're we're gonna start with you've worked for nike ebay honeywell and apple are those correct that is correct and while going through your bio i saw opposed to student loan forgiveness and that's in the news today so can we start with um what college did you attend and why are you opposed to student loan forgiveness uh, real quickly, I was uh, fairly strong in math as a kid and up going to the Variety Tech in Atlanta at the time. Didn't have a lot of money. I was working a uh, job, going to school, fairly intense engineering uh, curriculum, doing reasonably well on it, but got scared of the debt I was collecting given via student loans. I didn't have any Pell Grants or the grants that were offered back in the days. This is simply just a student loan. 
and I kept on thinking, how the hell am I ever going to pay this off once I've graduated and evidently have, hopefully have a job? And there were other uh, individuals, similar situation, said the Navy's looking for uh, smart people. So I went in there, took the ASVAB, killed it. And uh, next thing you know, I was joining the Navy after about a, about a year of that. And so hence the uh, being scared of increasing or, or incurring debt pushed me towards the Navy. So uh, I am animately opposed to forgiving anyone's loan who uh, barred any money. I can tell by the, the job titles he has. These are the kind of job titles that sh- show higher education, the higher social class to me, Joby. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not bricklayer, you know. <laughs> so needless to say, he's a successful at his career. The reason um, I reached out to him uh, as a connector and I, as a pro is I've been to some of his dinner parties and he has a collection of friends and, and it, it's massive and very diverse. I think that was a thing that kind of it's one thing to have a bunch of computer programmers that you've worked with through the years but chris seems to have some kind of vetting process so when you go to one of his parties you're just each conversation from each group of people gets even more interesting so i i just didn't understand how he kept up with it because he's not a kid he's not a social media guy he just does this and we're gonna get his tricks he's helped my wife get a job he's connected me with all kinds of very very interesting people so i i'm in debt to him for that but the reason we're doing this show is we want to know how so we can do it ourselves. If we're capable of it. I don't know if I have the patience for it. Right. Can we do that in chronological order? Um, like, like, like we meet at a bar and uh, Todd and I uh, go up to you, uh, hand over our business cards. What is your initial vetting process for like whether or not you're going to continue like connecting to these people? I would say probably uh, I was trying to think of some of the initial questions you share there. There's not necessarily a vetting process. I would I would say I gravitate towards humble, humble beginnings people. I'm, uh, I don't have a lot of uh, Ivy Leaguers in my circle of friends, so to speak. Most have somewhat humble beginnings there. And yeah, they uh, like to talk about things other than a... Uh, single focal point like i said no bunch of military guys always resonate with me but again and todd knows some of my uh military buddies one here local here i mean don't necessarily believe with uh believe in all his views but you get along with many people who don't agree with uh our views or in conflict of each other and then if uh also if they're reciprocating to just staying in touch is uh one of the bigger things and I'll be, yeah, I've, I've met friends, friends of friends. I mean, and the friends might not even be in the loop anymore. I've got a guy in Texas, Brian Adams, met him via yeah, a friend here, and he's plays with uh, submersibles and everything. And so he's uh, out there scoping the landscape for putting up all kinds of uh, wind farms and what have you. And so I had a little dialogue with him this last submersible went down. And again, he's uh, met him simply once, you know, buying product for uh, Nike here occasionally, stayed in touch, but that's been like five years ago, only met him. Uh, just gave him a tour of campus here. What's well, yes, the going to have a uh, logical, logical, rational way to uh, vet people that just kind of organically happens? Well, let's unpack that first part because you may said something very interesting there. The first one being that you said they had humble beginnings, which means that it's kind of a, a character trait that you like people that have some humility. Yep. Um, and then that you have 
the second one that's even probably the harder one it's very agreeable it's easy to agree with people who like if we like if we're red or if we're blue or if we like the new england patriots they like the new england patriots it's different to be friends and be kind and be friendly and welcome into your social circles people who have opposite beliefs i mean so we don't have to so what you're saying is you don't have to believe everything they say for us to be friends right we don't have to agree on everything to be friends like that's, that's oh, absolutely door open, and sometimes right? in that case the uh, the conflicts give me a uh... Give me the opportunity to jab these individuals too. Though. <laughs> <laughs> he likes to he likes to poke the bear and see how see if he can get them there to get their head. Of course, to Todd, <laughs> Todd knows some are easier poked than others, but I, I mean, there's I got, a, I got a single individual. I can I can always spin him up. <laughs> uh, okay, I so, I did notice that not only do you uh, poke or spin. I've also uh, the the one time I went out to beer with you guys, I did notice you're willing to let people hang themselves uh, as far as their conversation goes too. So that's also a good trait to have. He's 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 gathering material. He's just waiting to let him to say more. <laughs> you let them drink and you let them talk. They're gonna give you some. They're gonna give you some more good details, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, went in a mild depression, Joe. We were supposed to get together one more time before you left, and then you uh, bailed out there to the uh, big state of Texas without yeah. uh, without fanfare. He'll be back, unfortunately. Don't trust me. He'll be back. <laughs> how, how do you keep all these uh, people? How do you keep all these organized? All your contacts. How do you do it? How do you? How do you organize it? And now it's. I mean, I, I have nearly everyone's uh, cell phone. Probably uh, text and phone calls. I've. Uh, I probably you know if as I thought of this via some of your questions, they're like the vetting process. I mean, the humble beginnings. I never thought of that, but if I uh, go through all these people I know. Most have somewhat humble beginnings, some less humble than others, but uh, definitely humble beginnings. But again, when I was in the Navy, uh, maybe digressing a bit here, my parents moved from the Midwest to L.A., then the Carolinas, and all their family was back in the steel town. My mother would always write letters. I mean, I was a big letter writer when I was in the uh, Navy. Some folks expected to get a postcard from nearly everywhere I went, and I did uh Kind of got exhausting there, just getting stamps on them, getting enough postcards and sending them out to uh, people here and there. I don't necessarily do that anymore. Occasionally, I'll, uh, depends on who the person is. I still send uh, thank you cards, some special event cards. And uh, and again, I don't do too much mailing anymore. Yeah, I've definitely got everyone in a uh, you know, so that's interesting. birthday. So you change through the years because people don't want to even read. I mean, nowadays, our attention span is it's. People have gone to letters into to Texas, right? Letters to right. phone calls to Texas, and that's how people think. Like if we see a, it's not uncommon for someone to say to me, "I want you to watch this video. It's only two minutes," because they know if it's over, <laughs> no one's going to watch. Right. So I think you've you've changed with the times. That's interesting. And similarly, I, I'll just cite one story. We had an intern here at work here, and he uh, was on our team, but he did send out an actual thank you note after a summer internship, and I think that was the only one I wouldn't. Definitely the only one that came to our group here. But yeah, I've kept that ever since. The name's Logan there. Like I said, I didn't think the uh, any of the younger generation wrote anything anymore. So I was very shocked to uh, get that from him. What's a sign of character? Now, how, how do you – We talk, Joe's talking about you've got your Dunbar number. Um, how, do, how do you let people go? I mean, because is it just, just people move away? Or, I mean, people – let's face it, more people in our lives can be more conflict too. How do you manage that? Yes, probably. I I can't think of uh, letting go of too many. I wouldn't have uh, necessarily gravitated. I'd probably brought more in here with some of the technology here, just uh, connecting with folks. You know, 
always stayed in touch with the Navy folks now. It's so uh, easy to stay in touch with them. The Swedes, you know, I've known them since 1986, just got back here in March, known them for 30 odd years. But yeah, back in the early days, when I went to Sweden to visit my Swedish friends. It was all, uh, all driven by paper mail that Anna and I coordinated my visits all via mail. I mean, now it's all via text, email, whatever, but it's way easier to, uh, collect them versus getting rid of them. And I don't know that I've gotten rid of too many here in the uh, recent past. There are a few of them that I, uh, and I know their Democrat or know their demeanor. Some of them, I just force them to stay in touch with me, kind of guilt them. I have a few there. You know. <laughs> uh, well, that's it. Back. I mean, one of my good friends, I worked with her years ago at Millican there and she's not, uh, but yeah, I've, I've got her all dialed in now to where she'll, uh, not always as responsive as uh, some of my other folks. I mean, she's, uh, I brought her a long way. Uh, and now it's, now it's me, her and her sister that are all uh, kind of combined together. They're both in Charlotte, North Carolina, actually Fort Mill, South Carolina. So, so not labeled, not like a job or anything. How many years do you think you've been, have you been doing this since, since the eighties? Have you been doing this since the nineties? How long has this been going on? Yeah, definitely since my, uh, yeah, it hadn't been since the, uh, really the, you know, after moving away to Atlanta, Georgia for college. I mean, I, and again, spotty as it was, given the fact we didn't have cell phones there, but now it's so easy to connect with whomever, wherever it's way easier now, but yeah, I've always stayed in touch with folks after I left high school. I mean, I go back to, uh, the Carolinas, we're going back this week here, but sometimes I have to uh, harass my high school individuals. You know, they, some of them don't see each other until I'm back in the Carolinas, which I told them I know they're capable of getting together on their own, but you know, they very few, very rarely do that. Well, that before we hit the record button, uh, we were kind of mentioning that we don't really consider connector or connecting like there isn't a lot of podcasts or books about it. And it's it sounds if I could imply a chronology like it is a buildable skill, like you went from Navy and keeping track of everybody with postcards to now you've got kind of a system worked out of who won't be getting in touch with you by paper. Young people aren't going to be texting or, or writing out full messages. So, I mean, like it, I know you say that it, it comes natural and you're focusing on people who have a diversity of interests, but it, it sounds like it is something that you built up. You, yeah, yeah, you've been over time. I've probably uh, <laughs> somewhat refined it, but it's, uh, yeah, I can't call it a heavy lift by any means, but yeah, I'm always, uh, you know, I'm quick to, if there's uh, some recent press release on something that uh, is of interest to an individual, like I said, my submersible buddy in Texas there, you know, I stay in touch with them, you know, something like that. I mean, they're just things that pop up and I, uh, I've got one to two people who might find it super shit interesting. I, I don't think you understand. I think what power lifters, when we talk about heavy lifting or bodybuilders, it's not that heavy to them because they've been doing it for so long. I think when you say things like this to Joe, Joe's, I can tell he's sweating and getting scared right now with this much attention from people. <laughs> he certainly doesn't want that many fucking people in his house. I know that. <laughs> Keep in mind, Wilkes has a big house. You have to have a big house where you have 500 fucking friends, Joe. <laughs> right. No, I, I'm not kidding. Like, like too many people text me in a day. I, I feel like it is becoming work. I'm like, no, I, I turned it off. Go back to writing. <laughs> what What do you think? What benefits? I mean, you've, of course, you've had rich friends and and uh, yeah, people that love you all over the world. What? How do you think this has enriched your life personally? Yeah, see how others live. 
I mean, like I said, there are, uh, you know, fairly humble beginnings myself, but know a lot of folks who had even more humble beginnings, you know, have a friend here. I digress in a bit again. I gave a, uh, a tour to a group of Ugandan orphans that came over here and they toured the uh, country, drumming up money to support their orphanage back in Uganda. And then one of the uh, older ones, she actually immigrated here. She's uh, just graduated with a master's degree from uh, down Corvallis, Oregon State, back up here in Beaverton. But yeah, whenever she came over after, I didn't meet her during that initial tour. We've stayed in touch with Jojo ever since then, you know, even before she uh, immigrated from Uganda. Now, now she's back in the area here. So I've got a handful of folks that I'd like to uh, introduce who to, her to from a uh, job opportunity perspective, given the fact she's in the uh, some the social justice diverse world of work. <laughs> I just want to point out the the absolute stark difference. I was complaining about uh, an editor's texting me and you're like, oh yeah, no, I gave a tour to a bunch of Ugandan orphans. No big deal. Like the <laughs> <laughs> you should feel like you need to do more, Joe. You need to right. get some back. <laughs> yeah, we'll I say was, the Ugandan, well, well, Ugandan orphan right. tour come about because a coworker of mine whose dentist was providing free dental services for these orphans knew I did tours and said, hey, Chris, would you mind doing a tour? And that's how I ended up uh, doing a tour. I got to meet her uh, dental buddy, uh, her dentist here locally. And so that's, that's how that kind of evolved. Uh, how many, uh, speaking of, um, connecting people in a way that dentists, careers, uh, weddings, how many people do you think you've connected where it like moved their career or their life around just out of curiosity? Probably very few. I, uh, unlike Todd there, I'm not a matchmaker. I, uh, I stay away from matchmaking unless it's, uh, natural. I definitely don't, <laughs> don't force it. You're smart. Yeah, I mean, it just happened uh, with Joanne's situation. I mean, she just happened to be in a uh, an area where I've got another great friend here who, and again, I know Joanne well, know her uh, credentials and work ethic. So, yeah, would happily uh, vouch for her, whereas, you know, again, didn't mind doing that at all. But, yeah, they're few and far between from a uh, career perspective. You know, going to Penn State, they've got this huge alumni network. When I got out of grad school, I was always getting pinged by Interns, whatever, happy to chat with anyone. But at the end of the day, most of them need an internship and or a job. And uh, I hate to say it, Chris Wilkes doesn't uh, necessarily, just because you went to Penn State, doesn't mean you're uh, good people. We did an episode um, years ago, like like pretty much at the start of the, the podcast, where we looked at um, people who are really good connectors. If you zoom out and look at their friend groups, they... Um, will oftentimes gravitate toward the, the best connectors will go for nodes. The idea that like, you know, you pick out a friend, they're not necessarily the intern from Penn State looking for a job. The best connectors hold on to nodes who are people who have themselves a lot of connections. So if I am like the, the guy that's really into skateboards and has a lot of skateboard friends and each one of them brings me information, and then Chris, you tap me, you're getting basically the select information from my group. So you're getting a group of a groups of information. And, and if you web that out on a, a whiteboard, it looks kind of like a molecule. Like it, it looks like you are building something larger. Um, so what you said there, the, the idea that you wouldn't be necessarily handing out jobs to anybody who contacts you because they came from Penn State, but you will connect with people who are like 
running a diversity of interests and they they have groups of people they're going after mm-hmm. it sounds like you're kind of like more of a node of nodes and less of a a, a todd like matchmaker right yes i definitely don't want to yeah be a matchmaker i mean i've seen the matchmaking and jobs i mean comes back to bite you i don't know uh what happened to Todd's matchmaking skills there, but I just don't care. I want people to be miserable like me. Every married man wants, I've been trying to get Joe to get married. Cause I want him to be miserable. Like I, like all married men are. Uh, do you guys want to talk about like the web we currently live in? Like, like how Ben Franklin, that's the subject of, of this week, the, the narrative and the, the person we could find. I honestly really tried to find someone other than Ben Franklin to talk about. Like I went looking for um, professional connectors and like people, I, I went after uh, people who have done Ted talks about being connectors and about, you know, Gladwell's book. And it, it, it all just kind of, everybody always talks about Ben Franklin. And I kind of started to see why when I tracked his, um, founding of the first library because that took the most connections and it was just written about very casually the first library he opened or, or helped open he was in um a a philadelphia group and they started a subscription library and it was too expensive for farmers but it was more sort of like for academics where people could pay a subscription withdraw books they would sometimes get them mailed or brought to them i assume on a pillow um from somebody in a carriage and that led to him sort of like trying out this whole book thing on small groups of people like the farm, like the, the introductory narrative is, I mean, like his, his nephew literally tells him, you know, these people don't need another church. They need, uh, they need books. I don't know if I'm sort of exaggerating when I wrote it, I, I wrote to Todd or I wrote in the narrative that it's kind of like um, uh, game of Thrones, uh, the, the spider, uh, there is a eunuch in that series. He is a um, bald, kind of very quiet guy going around behind the scenes of like most of the major goings on in the kingdom. And they call him the spider because he is uh, connected to everybody. Um, he, he has orphans who will come and, uh, you know, give information to him that they've been listening to in the streets. He has soldiers who are paid through, uh, you know, his, his connections. Like he, he basically just gathers information, and brokers it. Yeah. And and manipulates life and death is life and death is in who you know, right, Joe? Right. And I, I almost quite literally went looking for that character in real life, and what I found was Ben Franklin, which is <laughs> very weird to say. But we all kind of live in his network. Like like he he went to France, he 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 engaged in politics, he tied everything sort of together. Like it it was insane that he like calling him a diplomat, I don't think is accurate. I, I think it actually is more of he was just an amazing connector. Um, and we kind of want to build a, a code for it. Like the, the episode name is hopefully the connector code book. And we want to sort of go through and figure out what is the secret sauce of that? How do you do that really well? Um, we'll use uh, best practices by Chris Wilkes. And um, what I'm hearing is I need to go join the Navy. Um, but uh, other than that, hopefully we kind of like, okay, so we'll pick people who are interesting have differing values than us sometimes. Although I don't know about that. I, I only hang out with people who like my candidates. 
Let me speak for the Navy. They're not they're not looking for uh, fiction writers right now. It's not it's not a job they're hiring for. Joe. <laughs> I don't know. Heinlein was very successful, and if he hadn't if he hadn't gone into uh, sci fi writing, he might have you know owned the Navy. Um, but uh, like you, okay, Todd. Let's start with humility because that happens to be on the top of uh, Ben Franklin's list of thirteen virtues. And when we were talking offline, you said that while reading through this, humility struck out to you. Like, like that was one that you picked up on. All throughout his life, and I've, I've read his – it's a hard read. It's Ben Franklin's autobiography. There's, there's different versions of it. Get the updated version. That, that old English stuff is kind of hard to read. The highlight of it, I'll tell you, is when he's bragging about visiting prostitutes. So I should tell you who we're dealing with here. <laughs> but – and I'm going to sprinkle in some stuff about him. I'm a huge fan of his. But humility, what I saw in this, this is a man who's extremely powerful and not just in a new country because that's what it was. Um, he he had a lot of just a big family that he was juggling all these relationships and he was very famous in Europe. He was a celebrity rock star. In, so, But the humility part comes from he didn't use his power to squash people like you think of. You think of someone being smart and rich and politically connected to be able to just boss everybody around, especially in, in that time. You know, th- things, things have changed. You didn't have to be as politically correct then. So to be humble and to not try to win and not try to be right, but to literally something we're taught is to not you don't need everyone to like you. But Ben Franklin believed that he wanted everyone to like him and he tried to make everyone like him by being agreeable. And to me, that says a man who just doesn't have an ego. Okay. Um, that is a huge one for me is, do you think being agreeable is is a cowardice? Like if you're sitting at the, you know, having beers with friends, somebody says something very stupid or very politically charged or very disagreeable, you don't come out and correct them? I've been in more bar fights than most people, so I can't say. <laughs> No, probably. I, I would say it depends on the uh, audience and that person. Again, I'm very sarcastic, and if you're uh, unable to uh, digest sarcasm, yeah, you'll definitely not get along with me. But I guess it depends on uh, who is at the table and uh, how much you like that guy or gal. <laughs> I think it's because he's, he's playing the long game, too. So how he acts and what he sees other people I mean, he's actually always a politician, right? So he, he's right. not just—he doesn't want to just win that one fight. He—he's everyone. Everyone's watching to see what he's going to do. <laughs> right. It's a big responsibility. I guess would you would you rather be right or would you rather be loved? Is really the core of the question. I want to be both, but that doesn't seem to be an option. That's there's no C on that one. Right. <laughs> I guess the part in the humility is um, uh, there's. There's the idea that like really smart people have to tell people, you know, or, or correct them when they get something wrong. The that nobody will know how bright I am if I don't, you know, tell somebody at the table how wrong they are on their ideas and and you know be more factually correct. And that never wins friends. Like yes, you look smart, but it it doesn't get you anything. Like nobody at the table is going to hand you a, a trophy or a laurel. But that sounds like a no dub, but it isn't. There's a lot of people that suffer from that infliction, Joe. <laughs> oh no, I still uh, do. <laughs> this I is, think this you're is... pretty smooth. You 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 know how to you know how to you know how to stay out of trouble. <laughs> Social skills you got now. 
Yeah, again, like I said, depends on who it is. If it's uh, someone who can uh, take a beating, they don't mind uh, beating up on them a little bit. But uh, well, that's a, some... that's a good point there. What what Chris just said is he he has a a meter on other people's sensitivities too that maybe some of us don't. That he yeah. knows that he can he can tease Joe a little bit more than Todd because Todd is just such. You know, it's so insecure that you got to be careful. So, so Chris knows how to handle that, and I don't know if I have that gauge. Uh, well, that to... itself, that is its own wit, is knowing how much people can can take a beating, <laughs> or knowing boundaries, or just being a super big smartass. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and knowing how much you can say without getting in trouble—that comes from. Uh... <laughs> I, I want to hit on the next like there's a there's a couple of these we're going to skip. We're not going to get through all of Ben Franklin's 13 virtues. Uh, lifelong learning. Ben Franklin invented the iron stove and flip. Uh, what is it like? Like swim flippers and like just everything. He, he, he invented everything because why not? Um, but I'm that means what, he was. I'm going to tell you what he invented. He invented um, lightning rod, bi- bifocals, uh, stove. A urinary catheter, um, and a couple of those other things that are significant that I, that I love is he was the very first U.S. postmaster, and he switched to switch, and he made the the he was the last person that ran the U.S. post office when it was profitable, and his big improvement was he said let's run horses at night for to deliver mail, and it, it made a huge difference in speed and time. Um, Another another thing that he did, and, and this is my favorite Ben Franklin thing. It's uh, you guys probably don't know this. Tell me if you do. <laughs> well, two things. Okay, the first one was, you know, the U.S. was in its war, right? So they were short on metal because metal was used for bullets, right? Well, guess who raised his hand and said, "I'll help the U.S. Treasury out and print out paper money." <laughs> <laughs> now that's just so kinky and so. <laughs> Corrupt, <laughs> right? Because I guarantee, yeah, I guarantee he printed out some for himself, which is which is just, I guess, to be an opportunist. But my favorite Ben Franklin, he has the lightning rod, which kept which saved many many people's lives, because that was a real problem. Lightning strikes your house, your house burned down. Fires were taking down people's property all the time. You know when you make have to make a really big decision. And you get out a piece of paper and you write pros and cons. Is, is either of you any guys done this? Uh, all the time. <laughs> ben Franklin invented that. He invented the pro-con <laughs> list? <laughs> yes. Somebody had to invent everything. Or at least he took credit for inventing it. Let's put it that way. I would assume that was going back to like cavemen making pro-cons <laughs> on the side of their caves. But Okay. Um, let's go around and say what we do to do our own lifelong learning. Cause I know, I know both of you, I've gotten your text messages. I know that you're both deeply engaged in like continuing your education. Um, my, my big intake is just studying for you on the show. Um, working, improving on public speaking. Um, and right now I'm in the process of, uh, studying up comedy and their structures to work into the speeches that Joe writes for me. So that's the lifelong thing. Um, another thing I do is uh, my health, my physical health, and it's not perfect. You know, I've had all every addiction under the, but I I study my blood work and I try different exercises and I and I've studied different exercises because I can't do the boxing and the running and the stuff I used to do. So now I do different things, and that's lifelong. And and I'm already transitioning to what my next activities are going to be, so I can stay as active and as healthy for as long as I can. 
Okay. Uh, Chris, what's your uh, your favorite method of new information? Probably more or less a podcast at the core, but yeah, documentary, uh, documentary horror for sure. I'll uh, watch documentaries all day long on nearly everything if I can. Well, Chris, you and have then, a discipline too of what you certain. Tell me what it was again that you listen to a certain amount of podcasts and give us an idea of how, and then you you use that after you get a reward for that. Like you get to. It's listen funny. To I don't. I, like I said, I uh, I've got so many podcasts now. That I like to listen to. I don't like to meet anyone else who loves podcasts. Hey, you got to listen <laughs> to this one because I don't have. Uh, like I said, I'll usually get up four forty-five. You know, five o'clock in the morning. Always uh, up first is the first thing I hit. Try to get all the news out of the way. BBC and then some of the uh, weeklies. Of course, my favorite podcast, yours, Wednesday morning, is always on the uh, the docket. There. We'll also say that uh, we'll have to. Uh, Give a shout out to Susie, your uh, single fan there in Sweden that I uh, generated for you. I don't know if she's uh, turned turned your podcast on to any others yet, but uh, she still listens to your podcast as well and send me notes occasionally on that. And then the yep. other thing is, yeah, like I said, once I uh, I don't listen to music until my kind of core podcast route or exhausted for the day. And well, that's the thing about Chris. Sometimes I think that Joe and I have stumbled on something brilliant, life changing. And then I'll mention it to Chris. He says, I heard that on this show or this show. <laughs> I say, oh, shit, we didn't invent that. We didn't invent the orange. <laughs> He's on to me. That's that's how I get a lot of my information is podcasts. Um, uh, podcasts, researching for our book and for short stories, sci-fi, things like that. But, um, well, first off, hello, Susie. And also... Uh, now I know the 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 way to lose Chris as a listener. We're just going to have several episodes in a row where we recommend good podcasts, and I will do my damnedest to find <laughs> ones that will get him off track. That will it will just be like inundating. What's what's your lifelong learning there, Joe? Oh, it's it's mostly um, uh, researching for this or, or for other things I'm writing. Um, that always is it. The mainlining of information from like college studies and and new science coming out that always comes from writing because i have to like look at what's coming out that is brand new no one's heard of it strange stuff um and then the rest of it is podcasts like i i have um a, a rotating list of like politics economy um science just anything that sounds like it would be interesting and and usually it's an argument um i i once read that um, I think it was Veritasium did his um, PhD on the idea that uh, it's way easier to remember things if there's an argument happening because you subconsciously take sides. So if I'm going to learn something and and I want to continue being a lifelong learner, I look for things that are currently in the news and being debated, or I look for things that don't seem like there should be a debate to them, like it's history or it's, it's uh, science. And then I find the debate. I, I find what is you know, what is the, the moral conundrum there? Yeah. I don't know if either one of your audibles type people, and of course there's audibles, but yeah, Libby and Canopy are both uh, available to me free via my uh, Washington County library membership, which is, you know, Libby is essentially books on tape, so to speak, not the latest and greatest, but like I said, biographies and history are always uh, my go-to. You'll never, uh, never catch me listening to, uh, fiction about the end of the earth or uh, an asteroid hitting us or anything like that sad see see joe loves that shit he loves that stuff of uh a cop what do you call that thing joe oh the, the genre of that yeah you like that one that uh, oh uh, 
post-apocalyptic or apocalyptic. Yeah, he wants to be there. Two men left standing on, and then he wants to cut my head off. <laughs> <laughs> Take the only woman left. <laughs> that's his, that's his... All I know so far is everyone's been wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, well that's, it, that is... It, is, it is fiction. It's not a... <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a goal outcome. <laughs> I'm gonna. We're gonna upload this episode, and we're gonna upload pictures of the bunker I'm digging in the backyards. <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm building like a, a, a soundproof trailer to like record in. It's actually just gonna be like, okay, here it is. It's finished. It's it's for the this the what is it? The nukes that was that why everybody was digging bunkers back in like the '60s. So, so what happens, Joe, is whenever now that you've um, publicly acknowledged you're building that, something happens, shit hits the fan, you know where they're going? They're going to Uncle Joe's place. They're not coming to my place. Right. They might That's, find me and Todd there. There are so many Silicon Valley, uh, like, like they call them bunker bros. It, it's There's a whole grouping of people in California who are like, they have a lot of money and they're currently digging bunkers in like Bozeman, Montana and like right. east of California. So that's what I'm going. I'm going for um, metal detector and radios. We don't need to dig our own bunkers, gentlemen. We're just going to go find theirs. Um, so we've already talked about collaboration. That was one of Ben Franklin's big pieces. Um, diplomacy intact, the idea that you don't necessarily argue with people. That um, I, I think this is the biggest one. He has diplomacy intact, and then right after that, humor and charm. I think those might as well be the same rule because honestly what it means is if somebody doesn't already like you enough to talk to you, they're not going to learn from you. And that, that I think is the, something I've learned from, I think I've, I've Todd, I've gotten that from you when you have turned on the charm and Chris, it sounds like you do that where you, you brought up at the start of this, that you will sit down with people who have differing values and ideas and the idea that you can crack jokes and, you know, turn on that dry humor that seems to kind of keep them listening and keep them engaged. Yeah, I think so. Sometimes it's uh, gives me the ability because I don't like to make bold statements unless it's uh, factual and I uh, got all my ducks in a row. But uh, it gives me the opportunity to uh, just totally demolish someone's idea. That's fun sometimes as well. <laughs> That's the intellectual version of kicking uh, Sandcastle back in somebody's face. <laughs> Well, I think it's I think it's I think it's real results, too. And, and it, it goes back to, um, you know, you're talking about um, being diplomatic. And um, Ben Franklin was was on assignment with John Adams trying to gain support from the France from French from France because they needed the money and they needed the men um, for the United States' cause. And John Adams is gone known on going on record blasting Ben Franklin about his work ethic. He said, this is the guy that says you have to get up the first and you know, the early bird eats the worm and all this stuff. He says the guy is hung over, passed out till one o'clock <laughs> in the afternoon. But what John Adams didn't understand was Ben Franklin was doing his work after work. And and what, what John Adams was, was livid about was that all the French liked Ben Franklin so much more because he was the drinker, smoker, partier. And he made all these friends, and that's how they ended up getting the French support. So it wasn't from John Adams getting up at 7 o'clock and being in the office and being in meetings. It was <laughs> after work at the bar, happy hour with Ben Franklin. Okay. Ben Franklin's holding court. Um, the one that I, I most need the help with, and this this is for both of you, is nurturing your network. I am honestly very terrible. I, I 
I read in some self-help book that the way you keep your network uh, active is you you have mammoths. You you pick out things that are going to be um, things that your group of friends can work on and to slay and to hunt. And, and, you know, if it's a bowling league or a podcast or whatever, that's how you stay engaged with them as you do things. But then I look over at Chris and I, I look over at Todd and it's like, you guys seem to have a totally different game plan. So what what, have, what do I need to pick up? I'd almost say a uh, constant communication. I said, it's not a heavy lift just by the law of averages. Something comes up that uh, prompts me maybe to reach out to that individual. You know, my teacher friend, there's some union debate in North Carolina. I'd reach out to my teacher friend in the South or uh, whatever it might be. So there's always something uh, occurring that may prompt me to reach out to an individual. And I think having an interest in, in something, uh, so identifying some traits in that person that um, that I lack in myself. I think that's something that I try to do with my friend group because I don't really need another. I don't think I can handle another friend. I'm, I'm glad I don't have a brother or a twin brother. I don't, you know, because I don't, I had, you know, <laughs> I had problems with my old brother. So I try to find people who, um, I don't know if it's, it's not diverse, but would have skills that I look up to. So kind of like what you're doing right now, Joe, where you're humbly asking, I'm not good at this. Well, hanging around this person helped me. And I think we've had that relationship. You've made me a lot more studious. You've made me a lot more disciplined started, since I started hanging out with Joe. I did not have this le level of discipline for these kind of activities, research and to consistently do a show until I met you. But if I, if I did hung around some of my other friends that don't have that strong suit, I would, the show wouldn't got as far as it has. Right. And I think that, uh, the terrible influence knowing so many good extroverts has had on me. I mean, I, I, I literally used to not speak to people who weren't at work or, or that I had, were in the, my direct chain of emailing for like um, writing something. I, I didn't have any connections or, or contacts outside of those two things. Um, That's tough, right? It's hard. I think I've read this about when people are younger and they're early, they're, they're late teens or early 20s when they're looking for a romantic partner or for a friendship. They always look for people who like the same music as they do, like the same food because it validates who you are. It has a it's a different appreciation for people that even though you don't really want to be like them, that you that you acknowledge what they do or what they're into or what they're. And now as I've gotten older, I, I like and Chris Wilkes talked about it earlier. He said it just better than I can. But it, what, what it said to me was someone who has a passion for something. And to me, that's important. That's someone who's interested. I don't care if it's scrapbooking, scuba diving, you know, skiing, someone who, who is out doing things, who is a doer, who is interested and, and, and humble. And I think that's a great trait to put in to connect with those people. I went to a, um, a writing contest once. It was an award ceremony. And we all went around the table and we talked about what is the strangest thing we've done in the name of research. One of the writers talked about blinding themselves for two weeks so that they could learn how to write from a blind perspective better. Somebody went out looking for their own bog iron to make a Viking axe and they were like getting stuck in mud and having a miserable time. I was wondering for both of you, when you sort of find somebody who has an interest or, or has a... Um, a a skill or like you, you have a, a sub buddy, Chris, what is the person who you have met and you've been like, wow, that's crazy. I need to, I need to talk to you. Like I need to make you a connection of mine because you're so strange. Hmm. That's uh, say a, a few though. Like I said, I mean, 
Todd one, like I said, he's, uh, and I met Todd and during uh, Toastmasters, I met him virtually and then eventually Joanne and then hence you. And I would, now that you've got your investigative services uh, credentials, if I ever have a crime in my family, I'm coming to Uncle Joe first. for. Uh, <laughs> I got my license to do crime, not solve them, but I will help if you want. <laughs> We're working on robbing a bank right now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think. I've met uh, some unique individuals. Like I said, the uh, my submersibles buddy there. He's you know, he does remote submersibles going down, looking at the seabeds and all that. Like I said, just a uh, fascinating individual. And he also recommends. He's got his own website where he tests and recommends audio components. Just as a side job, he's an IT guy who just kind of fell into it. And uh, you know, like I said, just met this guy once up here via another Texan who uh, they were best friends in the South and. He since went on, but yeah, he's always uh, still traveling the world, you know, looking at sites for windmills and things of that nature. And, you know, I haven't met any, anyone that does that, so to speak. For, for me, I think, um, you know, I think every person in the world, I've always said this, is every single person in the world could have a best-selling book written about them, either about something they've accomplished or something they've survived. One of my favorite ones, I work with this very introverted Asian man named Anthony. And Anthony didn't talk at all. He was just very timid. And I got to know Anthony, and I warmed up to him, and I kind of had him. I took him under my wing because he was socially a little bit awkward. Come to find out, gentlemen, Anthony was a competitive karaoke singer who competed (laughs) around the world. He was also a competitive break dancer. (laughs) And you would never have known, you know. So... He would have never brought it up. He wouldn't brag about it. This was pre-social media where you know everything about people, at least what the, what their front is, at least. Um, this was when you actually had to pry details out, out of people like they were teenagers. Right. And then sometimes you scratch the lottery ticket, you get something amazing like, <laughs> like break dancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Joe probably knows this, Todd. Like I said, I mean, Todd, myself, Beer, Lance... Paul, I mean, all of us, I mean, mostly the uh, little middle-aged white guys I hang out with, you know, my wife immigrated here, adopted a uh, newborn, a Mexican heritage son, Todd, you know, Joanne from the Philippines, Levere, you know, South Korean wife and kids, but uh, you'd never, uh, you'd never know that if you were just hanging out with me and Todd, so to speak. And even in California, we've got, you know, four of our closest, there were four couples uh, one African American, two were Indian, and myself and uh, my wife. But yeah, for various reasons, unbeknownst to any of us, I mean, we've all adopted kids. You know, and one was a foster adoption, of course, ours was private adoption. Two of them, uh, my Indian friends, adopted from an orphanage in India. They got two children from them, and then a uh, another couple also did a similar adoption from India. But yeah, who'd have thought that some of our closest friends in Silicon Valley at the time would have all ended up adopting kids for various reasons. Without seeking each other's advice, without coordinating of any sort. Right. Correct. Have you guys ever uh, turned an enemy or somebody who just generally disagreed with you on a personal level into like a, a connection of yours? Lately, lately that's happened with me, with my ex-business rival, um, who had a pretty... Uh, contentious breakup but just out of um 
I guess you'd say mutual respect. We've kind of reconnected and, and talked. So no like, shit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joe knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I remember you mentioning that. I had a a sudden, not necessarily a supplier, but again, get uh, in my role. What I do get pinged all the time from various folks selling various things. In this case, IT. And this individual didn't connect with me multiple times. I finally responded to him and I think he went back and I said, Hey, you know, I got a hold of this Chris Wilkes guy. And, uh, next thing you know, he told his, uh, execs there and they were all excited. And then long story short is then I just, uh, land blasted him after that. And then his VP called me and, uh, apologized and all that. And then I, uh, I called this individual and apologized to him and said, Oh, you a beer. So he's the individual who turned me on to his buddy who I was talking about who does submersibles out of Texas there, you know, like I said, Chris Taylor as well, still uh, get together with him occasionally here. He's local. And then his buddy uh, down in Texas. So that was a uh, connection that uh, evolved into a uh, multi-connection there after he, I gave him a little shit. <laughs> well, we did a show about this, Joe. We talked about um, well, the best friends through life historically um, our college friends and what, what you found through the research was the proximity, um, the age, <laughs> the interest, right? They're all at the same levels. But what Chris is talking about to do for decades after college and after the military is is very rare. Uh, it's less than 2%, right? I mean, what he does right. and what he thinks is easy is not. It's not. It's not easy to have that many people and to do it for that amount. of To do anything for that amount of time and have that kind of results takes some takes some some. Heavy lifting. <laughs> uh, well, if, you may if just lift it slowly over a long time, period of time. <laughs> if your only friends and mentors are people who are extraordinarily similar to you in demographic, you share the same blind spots. You don't look at the same news. You don't look at the same world events. You don't keep track of the same like you know economic shifts. It's it's when you go above and you you find people who don't agree with you, or people who have. You know, dissimilar backgrounds, then they're going to be paying attention. It, it's not even about like the airy fairy feel good idea of, oh, you have to have a diversity of people around you because it, it makes you a better person. It also just catches things that you normally aren't trained to pay attention to. And it's more interesting too, right? You're not seeing reruns all the time. You're hearing some new stories. Right. Um, one of the things that we, we, have covered on different episodes and I want to talk about it is the Ben Franklin effect. How to, uh, how to, well, it's now going to be called the Chris Wilkes effect. How do you take somebody, trick them into going out and having a beer with you, making friends out of them, getting their connections from them. <laughs> I'm saying this in a very Machiavellian term, but that's effectively what we're talking about is how do you, how do you turn somebody who disagrees with you into at, at the very least a connection or a friend? Well, he had a little trick he would do. Um, and he would, ask he would ask the person he calls it a trick he would ask people to borrow a rare book so this is a time when this is pre everything right and if the rival loaned him the book um he would justify that that they're treating him like a friend not a rival so he's thinking this person is not so bad so it's just a test it's just kind of the foot in the water why do you i why do you think that works like like i know it works because i've done it before um I, I think i i picked up on part of this by uh 48 laws of power 
why do you think people like the the clerk who was pissed at him i think it was during the general assembly why do you think he just like he's like oh dude uh, i guess i'll loan him a book uh, i guess i'm friends with him like what did what are what kind of math are we doing in our subconscious i've had this happen in my sales career uh, what it is is it's, it's so simple it's almost kind of spooky There'll be someone who you just who just doesn't like. We all have people who just aren't they're not fans of ours, right? And you can tell when they look at you and they say their your name, they kind of say like it's a swear word. But I found two things that work really well. <laughs> the first one is acknowledging something that they do well in front of everybody. Like when I get a chance to talk and in sales meetings and stuff, I get to talk. I'll acknowledge Joe and say, I saw Joe do this the other day and I was blown away. And I'm gonna try it. Joe can't help but like me. The other thing I, I learned, um, and this one is a really good one, is you can be a total jerk, total douche to people, but if you're nice to their kids, they can't help but like you. <laughs> <laughs> so if you kiss their kids' ass, they can't help it. And it's almost it's almost too easy. <laughs> so I've always defined it as a, that's similar to what I call the beer effect. Once you've had beer with people, they it's hard for them to get mad at you. With Todd as well, you know, the beer effect, then the uh, the Walmart effect, you know, is once you get too big, you know, no one likes you anymore. You're the enemy. And then the Madonna effect always say that that's simply uh, create a little controversy and uh, you just end up printing money. That sounds like like, like you, there's is not a rival on earth that I don't think I could do that with. It, it costs you almost nothing. I, I think the, oh, yeah. the problem we have is when you make amends with somebody, we assume there has to be like a kissing of the ring and a bending of the knee and admitting the other person is right in all regards. Just saying, let's go have a beer means, I mean, they can, you can listen to them be wrong in person while you drink. Then it's funny. Right. Exactly what you're saying, Joe. For years, I, I, I blow up every time somebody says, you know, Joe and Chris are great when you get them out of work. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, <laughs> everybody is. Like you said, when there's when you're having a beer or having dinner or doing something fun, of course they are. They're not, but you have to work with the son of a bitch, you know, and they're not like that at work. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, everyone's cool when they're not when there's nothing that's so that's what you do. You take that you Joe's against lowering tension because he's a he's a, a world class fiction writer. But in real life, <laughs> tension in real life is not as good. So if you can lower that tension and take the take the focus off things, right? And if you can't go beer, you can watch it a sporting event together, right? It takes the tension down even a little bit more, you know. Okay. Uh, Todd, do you have any other questions about uh, connectors? No, I think I, I really want to thank Chris for being his wonderful guest. And I'm going to do better. I'm going to work more on this and try to build. I don't think I'm going to be able to get to 25 or 30. But I think I could. I think I could get to ten if I work on it, and I'm going to. How about you? The the thing I'm absolutely going to steal uh, if I can is um, watching for interesting events in the world, watching for interesting things to talk about, and then just making a mental list of the people who I can share that with. Like like going out of my way to share that with a list of people. That is something I'm not doing right now. That sounds like Chris said, low lifting like that. That's something I think yeah. I can do. And I think I can enrich my life right now with the people who are around me by just expanding it a couple more layers, right? A couple more levels. And we have to say that if you connect a connector to another connector, I mean, it multiplies. It's like friendship and enriches your life. It's like on steroids. So that's the ultimate goal to connect to another connector. <laughs> Right. 
And what I've also heard is I need to go get an associate's from Penn State so I can get a job from Chris is, is what I took away from this too. <laughs> You've been listening to The Reengineered You. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You mean the world to us. We have a new episode every week. You can connect with us at www.re-engineeredyou.com. That's where we have research links, show notes, feedback, and blog articles for each of our episodes. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything. <laughs>